in these uncertain times, the Jim and Mickey show is there for you. Are you getting a little tired of ads that begin with that, that talk (laughs) all in this together about how things are uncertain or confusing or how we're more connected than ever, even though we're literally being told to stand no more than six feet uh, close together? (laughs) Just once, I'd like a commercial to come out and say, yo, shit is fucked up right now. (laughs) And just level with you. So here at the Jim and Mickey show, things are really messed up right now. We're still here for you. For the first time in a long while. Mickey, how are you doing in what appears to, by my count to be week eight, to the extent time still has any meaning, uh, of quarantine? How are you doing? Jim, as you know, hi guys. And in this time of need, Jim and I will be here for you to mock all the people who say that. Um, yes, I, I, on day, I don't know, 775 quarantine, it feels like. Um, as an extrovert, this is what hell must be like. <laughs> Um, I can only assume that's what hell must be like. Although, because I am quarantined, at least with only, you know, Shiloh and the cat, it's not like I have children running around the house, which I have heard is something that some of y'all do. Yeah, yeah. We're we're really going through the times where we are closer than ever as a family. And we go through <laughs> times where we are, we've all had enough of each other. Um, well, isn't that really, okay, we, we started off with, the intro being, of course, that in these uncertain times, Jim, we are the only ones. You and I, we're the only ones that are going to be here for all of those other people. And you know how I know this? We're, we're not alone, though, because every commercial starts that way. Yes. And every commercial has that piano background music now. <laughs> and, like, at the very end is, like, we're here for you. Mm-hmm. Alone, together. Together, apart. And I'm like, one, these alone together, together apart thing, as you mentioned, <laughs> don't make any sense. That's an oxymoron. Stop. It. Um, I think that it's fine to be like, stay home and know that you're stuck there. But like, I think what's really changed for me as far as the attitude of these messaging goes is that, you know, like the first week or two, we, Jim and I actually had tried to do a recording earlier, but because I've been so busy, we can get into that later. I haven't had the opportunity to do this. And of course, he's got the kids at home now, too. And yeah, they, by the way, for anyone listening, they did not hear the bad words from earlier in this, in the, this podcast. They are oh, yeah, yeah. upstairs, Again. and I'm encouraging them to get out of the house every now and then. But yeah, this this is, you know, I'm, there are people... It's harder are, to schedule now than, like, yeah. during the normal times. Um, yeah. Now, having said that, it is weird to me that... Again, the beginning of all of this starts and people are doing cute TikTok videos and little family singing. You know, you and I talked about the little family. like, Oh, they're singing little songs, doing little dances. Oh, look at this TikTok video. Oh, look over here. Oh, this is so cute. People are drawing rainbows on their sidewalk. And that was obviously week one and week two. (laughs) And now I have reached the point of like, don't show me your TikTok video. Don't care about you. Don't care about your family. Don't care if you guys have any hidden talents. Don't care if you built something in your house I should see. Don't care. I just went out of my house. So it went from being very cute to very annoying now. Like now if someone puts a TikTok, you missed your window, dude. You should have done that like three, four (laughs) weeks ago. And I would have shared your TikTok video. Now I'm like, ah, hate you. Yeah. Because you have time to do this and I have no time. I'm not learning a skill. I'm not learning a language. Um, I haven't built anything, Jim. I haven't read 75 books. And do you know why? Because I've been working the entire time. 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to say what people don't seem to realize is that, but first of all, the the forced optimism about being in lockdown or self quarantine or whichever term you find most appropriate disappeared right around the time the toilet paper came back on the stair, the shelves, uh, the store. So that, that basically it took about three weeks of people. This is your chance to write that novel. No, it's not. I mean, maybe it, if you are, God bless you. But, you know, look for a lot of people, a lot of what will get their creative juices flowing, what will get them enthusiastic about, you know, reading that book they've always meant to, re- to read or, you know, learning that new skill, that new hobby, all that kind of stuff. Look, it all happens with, with you know, generally from interaction with other people. And by and large, we've had that taken away from us, at least in terms of face-to-face. Yes, we, it's wonderful to have Zoom. It's wonderful to have Skype, as you and I are using right now. Maybe they should give us a discount for, for plugging it like this. Um, but everything, you know, we, we are being forced into these circumstances. And if you're finding this thriving, terrific, great, God bless you. But I think very clearly a lot of people aren't. Um, and I found myself kind of struck by a column by Kat Timpf, who said, you know, it's okay to feel bad during all this. We, we are going through a really lousy experience, and no one should be the least bit like, there's something wrong with you if you're depressed right now. No. I think that's genuinely fair, but also, like, feeding into that depression is what I don't like. Like, yes, it's it, – yeah, this blows. Like, I mean, you're going to hear Jim and I say words you haven't heard us ever say on the air before probably because – that's where we are right now. However, having said that, like, I feel like, like, the commercials and things like that, wouldn't it be better if they were funny and, like, took advantage of knowing that people are trapped at home and mm. knowing that this isn't fun for everybody? Like, yeah. I, I would like the creatives to be a little, actually, I know this is a stretch, creative here and not just repeat the same message over and over and over again. I would like them to give it some thought about, like, someone like you who's trying to work from home with two boys and the wife and get everything done. Like that's a laundry commercial right there because. Yeah. Probably the, the prototypical example of this came a couple weeks ago uh, with the NFL draft. Uh, I think everyone's like, Oh, finally there's a sports event that we can watch live with a little bit of excitement. Uh, and then we got, you know, first, of course it's understandable. The NFL would want to pay tribute to all the first responders and to the doctors and the nurses when Fauci came out to give, like, if, if you're going to have Fauci, have Fauci pick, announce the first pick. Uh, if you're, you know, like, there's a part of this, like, look, we we tuned into this to get an escape. Yes, I understand you wanted to, you know, recognize the, you know, this unparalleled historical moment or whatever it was. I, I was glad to see that Roger Goodell ex- warmly accepted the booze. It wasn't quite the same with everyone booing him. But I think there's kind of this, like, if you're going to, if something's going to be a vacation from the the you know mental stress around us then embrace that and and no one's no I, i'd be surprised i guess there are some you know some karens who would say <laughs> didn't pay tribute to this oh god mickey we have to talk about karens well yes we'll get to them in just a minute because i laugh because of course like this is like their season it's the season of the karens um they're having a great time right now and and we will get to that in a second but i think I think that's true of everything that we're watching right now. One of the things, um, like, obviously, yeah, we don't need to be reminded, much like in the commercials, don't need to be reminded. We all know. And, you know, something about those commercials, too, that that hit me the other day, and I wanted to run this by you. Should we blame the Charmin Bears? (laughs) Because they're the ones who made toilet paper seem like so much fun. 
And like, you know, everyone had to have it and love it. And, and it wasn't a party without it and what have you. I've been thinking a lot about the Charmin bears lately because I haven't seen a lot of Charmin commercials on them up to I have recently seen some of them start to do the like, hey, we're getting them back on the shelf. I'm like, yeah, so no more dancing around the dirty underwear. That's fantastic. This is the one that keeps saying, my hiney's clean. Yes, you know, that's that, the one that I hate. That's the one. So... I, I had this fascinating realization. I think it was a Michael Brendan Doherty column who, who made the point. So everyone's like, you know, God, how can we, you know, suddenly find ourselves without toilet paper? Well, on any given day, particularly, let's say on a weekday, you know, there are 250 million adults in America, many of them. And, you know, and, and you can do the math on that, probably about 70 some kids. They go out and they usually go to work. They either go to work or they go to school. And over the course of the day, they go to the bathroom and they use the toilet paper there. Well, when you cancel school almost all across the country, and when you close every non-essential workplace all across the country, everyone starts doing all of their business at home. Mm -hmm. Instead of going through, you know, toilet paper at a usual pace, all of a sudden they're going through toilet paper a lot faster. And all of a sudden, everyone realizes they are going through toilet paper a lot faster than they usually do. So everyone goes to the stores, and as soon as you hear somebody else is buying them out, well, then by golly, it turns into, you know. Oh, my God. Well, we are the hoardingest people that yeah, have ever the lived. The Elmo of, of, of paper products, you know. Well, again, we, we will hoard anything. Like, oh, toilet paper, need to have that. We'll hoard that. And then next thing you hear, like, oh, it's going to be meat. And so people are, like, hoarding their meat. And, and God bless Americans. At least we find ourselves in, at least most, some of us, whatever, we're at least in a financial situation where clearly there's a lot of hoarding going on. Yeah. You know. um, people are grabbing and going for it and whatever, but I think that it's a fascinating thing to watch because I was trying to figure out how I could tell people there was a shortage of Mickey so <laughs> that they would pay more for it. Well, this is our first show in a really long time, so uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there, there's a shortage of our program, and thus you should hoard it. No, um, yes, oh, yeah, no, like, people like, should I'm, share our program. Yes. <laughs> I, the other day I went to the store and actually found hand sanitizer and was like taking pictures of it. Like I was a rock star who had found gold and I realized like, okay, so times have changed, you know, suddenly hand sanitizer is a big deal when I find it in the store. Um, I, I I'm curious about this since we're on the whole Corona topic anyway, the pandemic potpourri as we've discussed. How do you feel about the mask? Uh, a, you know, necessary, uh, as luck would have it, if you happen to see a, if you're in Northern Virginia and you see a guy walking around with a, a white mask and it's one of the good fancy Z95 ones, it might be me. I was lucky that my father-in-law bought a bunch because he was going to be painting the house, uh, probably about a, more than two years ago. And it's been sitting in our, our, one of our closets for a while. We found them and this is, you know, next to finding toilet paper or hand sanitizer. You know, this is. Dude, this is great. that's huge. Yeah, exactly. So we, and we have just enough for all of us. Uh, we also have cloth masks and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, trying to walk the line between sensible precautions, um, and, and not be not freaking out. You know, if I don't need to go out, I'm not going to go out. If I, uh, need to pick up takeout food. I'm going to wear the gloves. I'm going to use the hand sanitizer on the gloves. <laughs> I'm going to wash the gloves when I'm done. Uh, I'm going to wash the hands when I come back in. And yeah, I'll wear the mask. Of course, it's you know it's not particularly fun or enjoyable. Um, but if I'm running into CVS to get a prescription or something like that, yeah, I'll put on the mask. Um, would I rather not? Sure, I'd rather not. Do I? You know, but carry one with you just because. And I, you know, people are arguing. Oh, you know, it doesn't give you perfect protection. 
Well, nothing in life other than like your full, you know, chem bio suit is going to give you perfect protection. You know, we're not working at Fort Detrick. We, we just need to, you know, if it gives you 80 percent protection, well, wouldn't you rather ha- you know, have that? You know, Everyone I'm- is looking at this all wrong. OK, all wrong. Here's the thing, Jim. The masks are our ticket to freedom. Right. Right. Okay. I don't give a shit whether they work or not. Other people seem to like them. <laughs> and if I wear one, I'm allowed to go places. Yeah. That's I, all I care about well, right I saw now. People and say, I know, feel like, now, again, you know me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't just order, you know, masks. <laughs> I ordered masks that have little kitty faces, like the anime <laughs> from Japanese. So I have, like, little Japanese anime faces, and I've made Mr. Bias wear them as well. He's not as amused as I am with them. But I have, you know, those masks. We have some plain masks. I just ordered some Steelers masks. They're coming in. Um, and I have gotten so many hilarious reactions, by the way, wearing my little kitty masks everywhere <laughs> they go, um, that I've enjoyed, actually, people responding to it. But the other part of it is I realize, like, if I'm going to have to have this and I'm going to have to wear it, I don't see any reason why I can't, like, personalize it a little bit. So, again, like I said, I've ordered some new ones that have different styles and whatever, and I've got some Steeler ones on the way. Um, and, of course, these are a little, would be considered, like, the, the non-surgical, non-medical, but they're what you wear out in public and what have you. I have talked to cashiers who said they've seen people with, like, little pearls attached, people who have blinged them up. Like please actually ho- please tell me they didn't like – okay, but make sure yeah, – bedazzling is fine if you're using glue. Please right. tell people aren't poking holes in their ma- mask to put on <laughs> Honey, you know I can't promise that. There's <laughs> no promises of that. And again, what part of I don't care if they work or not do you not get? This is not about working or not. This is about making people feel better. And if it makes people feel better enough to let them let me out of the house, because you may or may not realize this, but of course you, Lou. You are here. You're in the state of Governor Coonman. <laughs> where he has gotten us on lockdown for as long as possible. And I'm thinking that the more we are willing to, you know, cooperate with this whole mask thing, then so be it. What I am shocked by is like the hostility toward the mask. Because again, it's not something I like. It's not, I'm not even getting into whether or not it's effective. I don't care. I am merely going with the, if it gets me out of the house and gets me into stores or gets me into places that I want to go right now, I'm down. I don't understand why people are like, no, hell no, you can't make me wear a mask. I'll die if I want or I'll, you know, snot all over everybody. (laughs) You know, Mickey, if it's particularly high uh, resistance to masks amongst Generation X, then I think we can blame this on my friend Flint Dilly and the after school cartoon G.I. Joe, because as G.I. Joe, a real American hero, was fighting Cobra. Just about everyone in Cobra wore masks. Cobra was ahead of the curve, ready for the virus, except for the Baroness. I think the Baroness was just so hot. They're like, no, you're not allowed to wear a mask. Everybody else, Cobra Commander, Destro, every single shock troop was wearing a mask or a helmet of some kind. Um, I'm always struck by the people who insist, no, if you're not wearing it, a mask doesn't do you any good. Well, I mean, the doctors and nurses are wearing them. You think they're just, you know, wearing them for decoration? We, we kept getting this this simultaneous message of don't wear a mask because they don't work. Masks give you zero protection. Also, doctors and nurses need the masks the most. Well, right. But again, this is this is the honestly, this is what makes the coronavirus so very, very special, because it's like <laughs> some people have a fever. Some people don't wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Go outside. Don't go outside. Go to Chinatown. Yeah. Don't go to Chinatown. Um. 
it, there was a lot <laughs> back and forth throughout this, and it's still ongoing. It, I, I, it's, I, I'm not saying this as though it's in the past because it is still ongoing. All day, every day, the scientists are updating their information and their data. And as they update it, everything changes, it seems like, on a daily basis. Would you agree? I was going to say, the, uh, the the nature of the virus is so peculiar and so unusual, Mickey, that apparently if you are at a beach or a public park up in New York City, <laughs> it can get you. But if you go to a beach or public park to shame other people for being there, it won't catch you, apparently. Apparently, you're not at risk. Well, we the virus can say, detect your political where you are on the political spectrum, and it only goes after certain types. So. See, now, I don't think it's political. I think that the virus, I think that Karens might be immune to the virus. <laughs> they, We need to study their blood. Because maybe it's just because it runs so cold. I don't know. <laughs> it's so cold. The virus it's can't. Oh, so, so cold. The virus cannot take a touch. But I will tell you that the season of Karens is upon us. And they are absolutely taking advantage of this time of their moment in the spotlight. For any of you who will belong to a Facebook group with your neighborhood or God bless you at next door, you know they are on high alert. The, the yeah. Karens, of course. Jim, would you like to explain what a Karen is? Although I believe our listeners know. I think it's fair to explain it. In the absence of baseball, self-righteousness has become the new American pastime. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Look, so yeah, it's a, by the way, my apologies for any woman named Karen out there. Or if your mother is named Karen or your sister or your wife or girlfriend or any grandmother, daughter, you know, it's just I didn't make the rules. It's just the name that the collective hive mind of the Internet has decided for any usually it's a woman and there are there are male Karens, except nobody's quite come to a uniform opinion. We should call them. now on the name, although I did hear Brian today. I just kind of let that one settle in on you for a minute. They're trying to do other K names like Carl. And I, I don't know if the Carls of the world are necessarily, but basically it's someone who's either uh, a nag or someone who really seems to relish judgment of others. And a rush. It, it's kind of like the social justice mob. Um, for for offline life, although it usually, as I said, it, it generally tends to, a lot of them tend to be moms. A lot of them tend to be in suburbia where I live. Um, and they tend to really get their jollies by judging someone else, deeming them acting inappropriately or putting others at risk or something like that. And look, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, legit. People are getting together in large groups or something like that. The, the example I keep coming back to, and I've just been dying, you know, so Mickey, I'm walking with Mrs. Campaign Spot through the woods near our house, right? We got plenty mm-hmm. of as, and a woman, you know, right as we pass, she doesn't do it face to face because she, you know, maybe she's, maybe she sees me and knows what a maniac I can be. Um, decides, you know, you shouldn't be walking side by side. You should be walking straight line. That's <laughs> right that you know, uh, apparently we're supposed to be like sand people. Riding single files in order to hide our numbers. No. So there was this video that had gone around uh, made by somebody in Belgium that had shown people exhaling. And the gist was that as you're exhaling, the cloud goes out to the side of you. Thus, it's more likely to to catch someone else. Well, first of all, without going into too much details, dear listeners, whatever I've got, Mrs. Campaign Spot's got. And whatever she's got, I've got. You know, there's there's plenty of contact going on. Uh, sufficient. You color. have an adult relationship with your right? wife, yeah. Tim? And probably, you know, right. And so, you know, by the way, anything the kids have got, I'm going to get. It's just, you know, we're all in the same room. We're, we're all using the same, same house. You know, that's you know, all that kind of stuff. But the second thing is this Belgian video was apparently based on no science whatsoever. There's no <laughs> yeah. 
that you're more well, at risk side to walking side. Now, here's the thing. They, they're, they're recommending the six foot thing. I've heard people compare it to cigarette smoke, right? That the not not that the you know, that the movement of the uh, particles in the air that when you are speaking, when you are breathing, when you are hopefully not hopefully you're covering your mouth and nose when you sneeze. But any of that kind of stuff, that's the range. Right. So that's why they're saying six feet. But if you're already with that person, then no, you, you can walk by, by by them. There's no, you know. But like this Karen, and I don't know if her name was Karen, but she got she got so much joy out of catching someone else doing something that they felt was wrong. It's it's the, you know, uh, it's a narc instinct. It's a rat instinct. It's a desire to, to call out someone else for doing something wrong. Um, and that may or may not be genuinely wrong. And the most important thing is that for that brief moment, you get, you know, with, with the... We're not, we look, we can't go out and see each other. We can't do any of our usual activities. People need to get their endorphin rush somehow. And they're getting their endorphins off of, you know, judging others. And <laughs> look, as you know, I am not one who is not a fan of judging people. I'm all down <laughs> with that. However, what I find interesting is how they're snitching. And mm. that's where it changes. Like from being just a judgment call to like they're cold snitching on a lot of people. And there's an area here in town of Richmond called Church Hill, a historical area. It's where the church, where the uh, the famous church is located, actually here in Richmond, of the Give Me Liberty, Give Me Death speech. And um, so, of course, Church Hill has a little neighborhood uh, page here. They've got several parks in the area. It has become known as Karen Hill. <laughs> Because every time somebody leaves their house, it becomes a federal offense. It's not only on Facebook. They put it on Netflix. I'm sorry, next door. They try to reach out to, like, the local authorities. The cops have been called up there multiple times for kids being outside in their own yard. I believe so, it. Yeah. Uh, of course you do because it's happening everywhere. And now the question to me is, like, what do these people do 98% of the time when a pandemic's not going on? I feel like they should be watched. Now, it does make me wonder <laughs> if they they are the kind of person that has, like, no real authority in their own lives, you know what I mean, kind of. Oh, yeah. And then they choose to do this as a way of feeling like they can assert some authority. Or if they actually feel like they're doing the world, like, some good. I can't decide. Look, there are, first of all, there are people who have, you know, the kind of the equivalent of Napoleon complexes, right, where, where they have some deep-rooted fear that they are not significant enough, that they are not powerful enough, that the, the people don't listen to them enough, and thus they need to speak out, right? And then for some people, it's sheer, um, the, 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 you know, the, the, one, the joy of knowing that they know things that other people don't. And, you know, you see this couple walking down the street, and clearly they don't know the wisdom that you saw on the internet in a video, that, you know, you shouldn't walk side by side. So you have the chance to be a teacher. You have the chance to be the instructor, the wise guru, giving them the, not, the helpful knowledge, you know. Um, lots of people enjoy that feeling. And so on the one hand, they can't find a, a constructive avenue for that. So they will, you know, then turn into a Budinsky or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, term they want, you know, whatever term you want to use there. And... Oh, yeah, because every generation has their own version of this, you know, and a nosy Nelly, a Budinsky, um, you know, people that are you know, sticking their nose into other people's business. But yeah, the, the nosy Karen, neighbor was a stock yes. character on sitcoms for all those years. Like, they, it wouldn't have been one if that wasn't a real phenomenon in people's lives. Oh, God, here comes Karen, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's Karen again. 
she'll be the one. She's going to rat us all out. Um, Dana because... Carvey's church lady is kind of that, you know, hyper judgmental, <sighs> self righteous, you know, it's a little oh, more religiously absolutely. focused. But so, like, here's the thing Karen is the secular church lady. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Um, I, I, I guess that it's fair. I have heard people complain, you know, like, oh, well, I know someone named Karen. And I'm like, I don't care. If Mickey's acted like this, I would expect Mickey's to be mocked like this. That's all I've got for you. I don't know. Um, what if I do Mickey's know, acted like this, you would change your name. <laughs> this is probably true. <laughs> um, but it, it's like I said, it's interesting to me because it is most definitely a phenomenon that's been going on, obviously, long enough to have stock characters on TV. But again, something that social media feeds, which I think is really hyper um, important right now, of course, in these difficult times, Jim, <laughs> because people are communicating so much even more via social media than they ever did before. You know, and something I said about this lockdown is that I don't know that anyone would have even attempted this 10 years ago because we didn't have the technology. Like, we're able to keep certain people working. We're able to keep people entertained. You know, we're able to keep certain things going simply because we now have the technology that people can do a lot of the stuff from home. Mm. 10 years ago, we did not have that. Like, and think about Skype and Zoom and, you know, Microsoft Teams and go to meetings and how many things have changed because of that. And again, technology that really didn't come about till 2008, 2009. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's been fascinating is living through this is that there isn't really a perfect historical parallel. If you want to go back to the 1918 uh, flu pandemic, well, obviously, few of us were around back then. Um, isn't you know, it amazing that there were people that are, though? Yeah. And now they've like lived through that and World War One, Two and the COVID. Yeah. And and the Cold War and nine eleven and Katrina and you know. I mean you can pile and all up the other and, crap you know, we've all right? had to live through. Um it, so we are kind of it, it's kind of tough to say, oh, you know, that we in order to get through this, we need to go through we need to do what we did when we got through that event. And and nothing really fits it quite right. Um it, it's been interesting because you know, one of the <laughs> Uh, you mentioned being here with the boys for a long time. My wife and I were trying to limit the amount of screen time the boys had in any given day because we didn't want them staring at their computers, staring at their at, at phones, staring at tablets, staring at TV screens all day. Mm-hmm. And now the schooling that my that Authenticity Woods has had more than a few bumps in the road trying to implement is we need your child to be staring at screens for long stretches of the day. <laughs> <laughs> through Zoom and through you know, and you know, the good news is all the teachers and everybody's trying their best, but like you know, the, the, the argument of, oh, you don't want us to be sitting in front of a screen all day. Well, now it's how a lot of us are, are functioning. <laughs> it's how well, you're making a living. It's how, you know. Two things on this point. One, I now wear glasses, not like the kind you get from a doctor, but I had to go get the blue light filtering glasses mm. because after the first couple weeks of sitting in front of the screen all day, I was like, oh my God, my head is killing me. And I'd have headaches and my eyes were strained and I felt like I just needed to close them. Like they just hurt so bad they were burning. And so I talked about it with some people and they suggested I get these glasses and they work. So um, anyone want to reach out to me about the information on the blue light blocking glasses that I purchased? They do not look like freaky alien glasses. They look like normal glasses and yet they work. Because Um, our podcast, sorry, go ahead. Well, the second part of that was going into is it healthy for the kids to be sitting in front of the screens all day? Like, is this good for their eyes? Is this good for their brains? And I'm going to go even one step further and say, 
Now you've got colleges that are charging people a lot of money for what is equivalent of an online course. Yeah. That is, you know, uh, and that's like a whole other thing that's going to need to be addressed, you know, because our podcast is primarily pop culture focused and we primarily don't want to get into the heavy stuff. I'm just going to make a glancing blow on this. And yes, there's a lot more meat in the bones to chew over. But like, look, um, the argument about reopening society, as as I said, you know, it's the beginning, beginning. We're we're in week eight. Right. We're, We're now in the neighborhood of two months. People have really, I, I thought was, you and I were, were talking throughout this and we're like, we think they got about a month and the weather gets nice and people are going to come out. They've been lucked out that the spring has been very cold and rainy, particularly at least here in the Northeast. So people, mm-hmm. you know, like this, this desire to get out has been suppressed about as much as it possibly can. I, at least I believe it reasonably can. Um, we don't function well as a society or as individuals when we spend most of our day staring at a screen, Right. Our gyms are closed. Hopefully people are out walking or jogging or at least getting some sort of physical activity. Um, psychologically, we're not getting all of the things that we get from face-to-face interaction with people. Uh, I'm glad we have Zoom. I'm glad we have all these options, but it's a poor substitute. And, and you know, it's, it's been interesting. You know, I don't know if this is a good segue. Can also, to, right? I was just going to say, it actually, there's a study out there being done now about the exhaustion caused on your body by being in these Zoom meetings or go to meetings or whatever you want to call them, the webinars all day long, because your brain and your body are constantly trying to adjust the messages that it normally is being sent, which your brain is trying to read physical cues, body cues, listen to what's being said, and operate the tech at the same time. Meanwhile, your body is trying to adjust to whether or not you're actually in the room with these people. Mm. And that's why people are so tired at the end of the day. There's actually a, a technical term for it. And I can't remember it right now, but there's an actual technical term for it because your body physiologically isn't built to do this. So it's trying yeah. to adapt all the time. Yeah. And, and again, uh, first of all, I believe almost everybody in the country is having super weird dreams. And we should, you know, we probably shouldn't be surprised by this yes. because our, our routine has been disrupted, right? Some of us are dealing with, you know, straight up life and death. Holy crap, am I going to die questions? Others are, is someone I know or care about going to deal with straight up? Am I going to up or die questions? And then for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I'm at no particular risk for this. But you do hear about the occasional young, healthy person who all of a sudden they catch it. And four days later, they're, you know, on an incubator. Like, you know, this, this is some really scary shit we're dealing with. And the idea that, you know, of course we're going to have, you know, serious disruptive. Now, we're, we're, we're all doing our best. Everybody's trying to, you know, get through this, try to, you know, greet people and going through life with, you know, a certain amount of sympathy. But when you see people saying, I want to go back to normal, like there, there's a, some cartoon that portrayed the protesters as, you know, I need a haircut. And look, that's not really what's driving this. I mean, you know, it, you know some of it's boredom. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is like you, you've taken away all sense of normalcy from people. You've taken away what they do and why they get up in the morning, If in some cases, if it's their job. And when you're in a crisis, when every previous crisis, as I just said, the historical comparisons don't work, 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, uh, any natural disaster, what do people do? Well, they come together, right? They, they, they interact with each other. The hug, the touch, the armor on the shoulder. We can't mm. even do that, right? So this is why what we're dealing with is completely different from everything else. So we kind of have to... You know, like I, I have no anger at anybody who's like, God, how soon, how soon can we get back to normal? Um, sorry, that's my rant, Mickey. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, I was actually listening to you, which is, you know, we call that a win. Um, a pleasant, and, and, a pleasant change. <laughs> 
but and and I kind of got lost in your thought process of the hug and then you know coming together and the idea of all of that and then combining that with <clears throat> the what I will call quarantine programming mm. yeah um you know what I mean like obviously we're all glued to our streaming services anything we've got on demand whatever we've got access to on tv at this point or um, are on our laptops, we're going with that hardcore. But there's also been like this instant pop-up of, you know, there's been a couple now TV concerts of yeah. people at home. You know, they're at home, but they're doing a live concert. and they Have you been watching it? That. If so, what do you think of it? I've watched a couple. Um, some of it's entertaining, most of it's crap. And I don't think that a lot of artists are super talented enough to do this in, by themselves at home without all their other people. So I'll just throw that in there. Um, but I think that it's also one of the things where I appreciate that they are trying to do something, right? Mm-hmm. But I think, unfortunately, even when celebrities are at home doing their thing, right, just playing music or whatever, that's cool. We like it. Doesn't it always feel like there's a condescending message that comes along with that, though? And they're known for it. I mean, we talked about Gal Gadot, I think. Um, maybe we didn't make it to her. But Gal Gadot and her, you know, she was like, oh, I'm going to put a sweet little video out of us all singing Imagine. And it was god awful. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure you have. Um, but at the same time, she may have thought, like, I'm going to put this little video out. And people were literally, like, coming for her with the torches. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I think I, it's because people have reached a certain limit with the idea of, like, we're all in this together. We're all the same alone together. And then, like. You've got pictures of David Geffen on his yacht. You know, you've got yeah. Kylie and her friends hanging out in their pool. You've got, you know, the, that's not quite the same as those of us, especially I can't even imagine like the single people that are locked in an apartment in New York. Yeah. Um, where it's rained for like weeks on end. This is my, the res- my response to the Gal Gadot video was I found a gif of somebody on a talk show saying, I love you, but no. Uh, and and it was really the way i wanted to say i you know look for for a lot of reasons wonder woman among them and just the fact that she's a you know typically hot israeli woman uh i really like gal gadot but no gal no (laughs) it's just like odd and and, but it was interesting by the way like my my tweet ended up i first got retweeted like eight thousand times like here here i am trying to like do you know groundbreaking research on the device (laughs) that doesn't go viral no no it's 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 the snarky response to gil godot that's the one where you know halfway around the world they're they're seeing that tweet um yeah you've been trying to get her attention for years and and years and and suddenly the only tweet that ever makes it in her timeline is that one um, mm-hmm. but the, you know, the observation, but I've also noticed a number of people who called it a furious denunciation. No, <laughs> it was not furious, you know, but having said there were some people who were just couldn't stand it. And I think if you're a celebrity, there are two messages right now that are really not helpful. As you said, we're all in this together. If you're going to say that, at least make the background look as shabby as possible. (laughs) Because if we can see the Steinway piano and the big bay window with the view of the valley and all kinds of stuff, uh, no, we're not. Right. There's the first thing is you're you're getting through quarantine in very different circumstances than most other people. Uh, And oh, by the way, you know, if you've caught me uh, uh, appearing with Cam or anything like that, look, I'm, you know. I'm in very lucky shape. I, you know, I'm, we moved a couple of years ago. I'm glad we have this house. It's a nice, you know, decent sized house. The kids have a yard neighborhood, you know, doesn't have too many Karens. Um, but the second problem with, with celebrities 
is anything uh, there's a great video that said it was basically a parody video saying thank you celebrities oh god and, yes. and it was so on point which was a sense of like you know the, these well, celebrities like, one guy was like i lost my mom and my brother to the corona but thank you for celebrities for sending me a message from your kitchen where you're dancing around and, and, and maybe it's that celebrities just seem too okay in these videos Right. Like that the like in a very strange way, one of my favorite videos I've seen of this was from the infamous Cardi B. And this was like four days in where she asked the Pentagon if they could so if, if someone knew someone at the Pentagon to say when this is gonna end. Because she wanted to get dressed up and she was going and she sounded like she was ready to lose her mind. And this is like three or four days into the quarantine. So I have no idea how she's doing right now. But in some ways it's somewhat reassuring to see the celebrities freaking out. To see them saying, okay, you know, the, the old saying, celebrities are just like us. Well, mm-hmm. a celebrity that is calmly telling us and calmly and fairly happily telling us we're going to get through this together. Well, actually, no, that doesn't make me feel much better. Watching Cardi B freak out, that kind of does make me feel better. It's nice, it's nice to know they're suffering too. Interesting. <laughs> and interesting twist because I say in my respect, I don't want to hear them whining about suffering either. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear, oh, I had coronavirus, but now I'm back from Australia. Um, What's you know, uh, or, or in the case of Madonna. Idris, who's yeah, Idris Elba said every, we should do this every year. I know. A week. No. A week every year. Someone's like, yeah, congratulations. You invented spring break. <laughs> um, I, I, there's a certain, again, and again, I, I, with, I don't even think this is political. I think this is pop culture at this point. Chris Cuomo's lost his mind. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. I, you know, people were talking about the Rona rage. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. But what I do know is that there are certain celebrities who have had this disease, have used it in their own way, shape, or form, and somehow still come out looking like bigger assholes on the other side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the first is because there is such enormous variance in how this virus affects people. Um, that, that it's possible some folks can get through this with really minimal effects. And if you aren't, you know, God bless you, count your blessings, you know, that, that's great. There are some people who are going to get this and it's, it's, it's the end of them. They're, they're, they're not going to, you know, be, they're not going to be coming out of that hospital. Uh, and their loved ones are not going to be able to have a funeral and that this is going to be like this because of the contagiousness of this virus, even the process of mourning. You know, Jews sitting Shiva, uh, various other, you know, the, the usual wake, the usual funeral, all of that is disrupted. So some people are going through absolute hell right now. And all the things you usually do to cope with the shock of losing a loved one isn't available to them. Right. That's this. This is, you know, for some people, that's how big and how bad this is, uh, which one should put almost anybody. Like, I think what I enjoyed about the Cardi B complaint was it because it was the most petty and ridiculous complaint you could possibly have. And because uh-huh. it was so ridiculous, there was something amusing about it that, you know, if you think you're, you know, ugh, this stinks, you know, I've not seen anybody too much, you know, more than. I guess anything. I shouldn't tell you about my nail situation then, huh? <laughs> but you know, the thing is, is that the things oh, okay. I would do for a manicure right now. Oh, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> is that what you're? Is that what you're missing the most right now, or? Oh my God, I am missing a lot of things. I miss people. Um, I miss hanging out with my friends. I miss unlimited chips and salsa and margaritas, and I miss yeah. being outside at baseball games in the spring. 
and I miss having my hair done, and I miss my nails, and the things I would do for a mani-pedi right now just aren't right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I have a list of things that I miss. I mean, I again, I feel very blessed with, you know, the all of the things, blah, 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 that you're supposed to say. Yeah. But it's still very frustrating. And it's okay to feel bad, you know? Like you, no, no, but don't everybody... you feel like you have to do, like, the disclaimer? Yeah, oh, because that I do. Like I feel like anytime I say anything about my petty complaints about life, I'm like, I know this is serious. I know all of these things are true. Blah 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 blah. However, I, I think the I still would really like to get my hair done, and I really need to get my toes done too. And if you saw I, my fingernails, I'm now approaching what I would guess is like crone status, because <laughs> they're really long and they don't look good. So, um, so yeah, I, and you know, again, I, this is something that I also see in the celebrity videos that caused me some questions, like who is updating your eyebrows and who is doing your makeup <laughs> yeah. and how did you suddenly get a spray tan, things of that nature, you know, mm-hmm. fair questions, mm-hmm. inquiring minds want to know mm-hmm. Look, the, the least helpful take at this moment is when somebody says, and Frank lived in an attic for two years, you <laughs> plan, you know, like, okay. You're right. We're luckier than Anne Frank. Big point scored there. <laughs> but at that time, high, how clear. different was an attic from like the apartment? Yeah, we're we're fleeing from not we're not fleeing from Nazis. That you great, you know. Um, <laughs> it's okay to feel bad about this stuff, and <laughs> you know it's okay to be frustrated if you're used to going to work into a workplace and interacting with your coworkers. It is okay to miss farmer's markets. It is okay to wonder if your favorite restaurants are going to stay in business because it looks like a bunch of them won't. It is okay to want food that is not delivery or takeout. Um, it is okay to want, by the way, I will say, having said that for all the other terrible things this virus has done for us, it has opened up the possibility for takeout mixed drinks, mm-hmm. which is finally an innovation we want to keep with us as we, Oh my God. Yes. Let's keep that. Never take that one away. I like that one. Um, you know, it's okay to want to have parties. It's okay to want to see your friends, you know, at more than a six foot distance again. Um, vacations, uh, you know, all the little league games that got canceled this spring. Everybody well, and has- we, of course, we miss Baby G's first birthday. That's right. And so, yeah. So, like, again, there's been, you know, a lot of very personal things. But I, I don't know, Jim, you've known me long enough to know I take a lot of shit in stride. <laughs> and you do. You know what I mean? So, like, this doesn't. I, I'm as, as upsetting as it, and emotionally draining as it can be at times. I think on the overall, I'm doing exceptionally well. Now this could be 100% solely because of Netflix. And, <laughs> and I say this in that one, it's a good transition out of your death talk. And two, <laughs> um, it's where everyone is spending their time right now. And I feel really comfortable saying that because obviously Tiger King, you know, number one all over the world, all of that makes you crazy to talk about, I know. But since the Tiger King thing came out and everybody watched it that first weekend because we were all trapped together, um, then there has been Tiger King updates. And there's the real story behind the Tiger King from TMZ and Fox News. And then there was the TMZ update with Joel McHale where he met. With the remaining cast members, who many more have teeth now. In fact, <laughs> all of them have teeth now. So the remaining cast members that were not in jail or not willing to talk to them, he had a, a meeting with that. And now, and this is the part that I could not wait to tell you about, and I'm almost hoping you haven't heard. There's going to be a movie. And 
guess he's going to play the Tiger King himself. I, I did hear about this. I believe this is the most perfect casting of his entire long and varied career. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. It'll be the one, the only Nicolas Cage. And, and, and ironically, this is one of his more mundane roles. My God, it's perfect. Like, I can already see him that I will never financially recover from this. He's got it. He, <laughs> he has it down. He is Joe Exotic. In fact, he was born to play Joe Exotic. Um, and so that's going to be hilarious. I'm actually really much looking forward to that. Um, some other quarantine programming that I've enjoyed, though, and that you enjoyed a little bit more and we can talk about is The Last Dance on ESPN. Mm. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with this and are somehow living under a rock, it is, of course, the storied tale, a 10-episode um, documentary of the 1998 Bulls and their run at the championship, which would make um, for their sixth title. But it was the last year with um, the coaches and Jordan and everything that was going on. And it was originally supposed to air in June, but because of the pandemic, another pandemic bonus, um, this got bumped up forward so that we had something to watch. And I don't know about you, but it goes by, like, it's the fastest two hours of television every week for me. Now, Vicky, I want to ask you, when you first heard about this project, what was your, uh, what was your reaction? What, what was your I, oh, I knew I wanted to watch it simply because I'd heard it was more about Michael Jordan um, than the Bulls themselves, but it's actually more about the team. Um, but I did want to watch it because they've just done such a great job with, like, uh, the O.J. Simpson Made in America documentary, mm. some of their 30 for 30s. They make stories that you think that you know even more interesting. They've done a good job with that. Because I was going to say, I would not have described myself as a huge fan of – uh, the Chicago Bulls or of the NBA during that time. But you know, again, if you were alive during that Same, time yeah. period, you, you were, you know, aware of it, you know, obviously admiring um, the, the phenomenal talent. I am among those who would argue that, that Jordan is the greatest NBA player of all time. Yes. You can give a little bit of credit to, or, you know, I, I think you can put LeBron in the discussion. I don't think it's a crazy position, but I think you look what one of the things that you you re remember and you reabsorb watching this series is the sheer number of times Michael Jordan could do something. And yes, he was a great basketball player, but he would do something that sort of made you doubt the laws of physics, that that he would get higher and elevate himself, particularly in a slow motion way. Absolutely. And you and you just kind of be like a human body isn't supposed to be able to do that. Check him for some sort of anti-gravity technology, right? That they, there's a, you know, the sh- you know, money has got to be the shoes, as Spike Lee kept insisting in that yeah, commercial. Got to like, be the shoes. Like, gotta there's got to the be something in those shoes that gives him some sort of unnatural advantage. And what it was is he was just, you know, the, the greatest, and also as this series demonstrates, a near psychotic level of competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, Mickey is, and we are five episodes in. I've watched one, two, I guess we're up to six, right? So I've watched mm-hmm. one. Two, parts of three and four and then five and six do you feel differently about michael jordan um at this point than before this series started uh no however i do feel if anything i feel like i know him better because i like you like i'm not a big basketball fan everybody knows this i usually watch the finals that's like it um during the 90s even more so because i was busy doing college and things um, but again, it was one of those things where you also couldn't be around at that time and not have 
known who Michael Jordan was, didn't own a pair of Jordan shoes, or didn't know somebody who did. Like, because everybody, in addition, they talked about the shoes, but, like, they, he had his own basketball shorts and his own shirts, and everybody had a Jordan shirt or a hat or whatever. Um, it was everywhere. And I fully understand why that pressure got to him, because I think that in his heart he was a competitive basketball player, and yet all of this other stuff came along with it that he had to tolerate. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, it's been really interesting. I think my favorite part, and this is ridiculous, but my favorite part is when they cut to, like, young Michael Jordan. Like, the Michael Jordan we know, the flying high Michael Jordan, the one who defies gravity, the one who has amazed us with his fitness and his body control and his ability to literally fly through the freaking air. And then they cut to Michael Jordan now. <laughs> and he's this giant of a man who's bloodshot red eyes sitting there drinking his bourbon <laughs> on the rocks and, you know, has smoked a million cigars, I'm mm. sure, at this point, um, and eaten many, many, many steaks. Um, yeah. And he just has that look of a man about him who is, you know, he's very comfortable in his own skin. There's no question about it. But the look of that Jordan versus the Jordan that we saw in the 90s mm. is so stark contrasting especially when you see some of his colleagues and coworkers and teammates that look like they could still hit the floor and play yeah yeah one of the things that jumps out at me after watching these six episodes is that michael jordan may have for the first let's say 40 years of his life some of the bet one of the best lives that anyone has ever led in human history right obviously tragedy with his father uh, went through some rough parts and all that stuff, but by and large, you know, a, a, a life of unparalleled triumph and personal excellence and fame and adulation and riches and cultural influence and, you know, all that kind of stuff for the first, let's say, 40 years of his life. And the back 40, or maybe he lives to be 100, hopefully he lives to be 120, you know, maybe they're not going to be so great. <laughs> That what do you do when by the time you retire from the NBA, you own the record book, um, you you have redefined the game, you've elevated its its uh, you, you've had a you've had a huge impact on the world of sports and the world of of culture at large, you know, in an unparalleled way. Maybe not since Muhammad Ali, maybe not since Babe Ruth. I think it was I think it's um, Will Bond says. I think says it's fair to two. say that they mentioned that you know he Muhammad Ali made. Yeah boxing and Babe Ruth made baseball interesting. I I think it's 100% fair to say that he brought basketball to the world. Yeah. Um, And that, you know, it's a bit like Neil Armstrong after he lands on the moon. What else are you going to do with your life that's going to even come close to that feeling you would feel uh, having achieved that? Um, The other kind of interesting, half the the value of this uh, series is watching it for the sheer 80s and 90s nostalgia um, and watching and just kind of the recognizing, soundtrack is spectacular. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and just kind of recognizing the sense of one of the things that made Jordan who he is and that would make it be hard for LeBron or any other rising star from here on out to, to equal him was that there was this Jordan mystique because it was the era before social media and mm-hmm. you have, you know, Jordan would appear on our screens in the tele, in the basketball game. Very he true. would do something phenomenal. He, after the game, he'd probably answer some questions for reporters, and then he'd drive off and he disappeared. And the only other time you would see him would be in a commercial, and obviously there were a lot of commercials, but maybe the occasional 
Tonight Show appearance or some other, you know, uh, interview or something like that. But in other words, there was this mystery of who was the real Jordan. By the way, I think the series does a great job of revealing who the real Jordan is. But mm-hmm. so, but without having that constant exposure to him, there was that. Okay, we know he's phenomenal, but who is he really? And I think that's kind of a, you know. It was something we've lost in the era of 24-7 access to our, our favorite athletes. Can you imagine how celebrities must feel and sports athletes? And they, I mean, they used to be able to go out to clubs like normal people. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Run into people. Maybe somebody snap a picture or whatever. Now it's like somebody snaps a picture. It's a online. 30 seconds later, all the paparazzi are there, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like it's changed a lot in that aspect, without a doubt. I think you kind of see that, right? You see that he's maybe one of the first athletes to have to deal with that. And I think one of the more interesting things that I came out of this with was confirmation um, that I believe Michael Jordan is the GOAT when mm-hmm. it comes to basketball. I think the segment with Kobe actually proves that in mm. that, Kobe made it very clear that there would be no Kobe if there was no Michael Jordan. Like, he had taught him so much and done so much. And I don't think that LeBron is even in the conversation. So you guys can just bring that wherever you want. (laughs) And so I think that this is confirmation to me anyway. And not that I really need it because I think about how much he changed the game. Like, Mm -hmm. I think about in those early years when when really that image of him flying across from midcourt. And you're like, how did he do it? And it's interesting that you brought up the Spike Lee commercial because it's something that Mr. Bias and I talked about immediately when it aired because everyone remembered that commercial. It must Mm -hmm. be the shoes. It's got to be the shoes. It's got to be the shoes because you're like, how does he do it? Right. And everybody felt that. And I feel like this is an excellent peek into that world. Um, I I think that it it was, you know, like I said, with everything, obviously the, the Kobe Bryant segment made people very emotional, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of nostalgia in this, but I think there's also a lot of, as you said, a peek behind what felt like a very thick curtain back in the day. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, one of the other things that kind of comes clear is just how, I mean, maybe the culture was just ready for it in a way that it hadn't been for Larry Bird, Michael, uh, Magic Johnson. There were indisputably great players before Michael Jordan. That that's, you know, um, but they weren't as attractive. And this is something that I said to Mr. Bias was like, I do believe that, you know, it, it's always been the truth. This is why some people don't like wearing masks because if they're attractive, they get better service. Um, but I feel like there was something to the fact that yes, he had all of this talent and all of this charisma that was just there boiling under the surface. But he was also a really attractive guy. And I think all of that coming together makes you marketable, Mm -hmm. you know, because Larry Bird's not cute. Yeah. I mean, the the other thing which is kind of noticed that jumped out at me, they play the Gatorade commercial. And once you hear that, that song will be, you know, stuck in your head. Sometimes I dream that he is me. And he got to see what he is. You stop it right now. So it's Gatorade and it's literally children singing how they want to be like Mike. And the closing graphic is be like mike there has never been like you know there have been been famous athletes but nobody was saying be like joe montana Mm -hmm. be like don mattingly right you know there there was be like mean joe green (laughs) right i mean like you know there was you know the idea of you know whether or not michael jordan saw himself as climbing up on that pedestal like it's not just wow what an amazing athlete 
This is like literally, this is almost North Korea. Like this is who you should want to be like, right? This is the role model in every sense. And I think it's in a lot of ways. eerie watching it looking back yeah. because we would never do this now. You couldn't do it for anybody now. No one would say, be like LeBron, whether you love him, whether you hate him, right? And I also kind of wonder mm-hmm. how much the subsequent Charles Barkley Nike campaign, I am not a role model. Yes. <laughs> was was like almost literally, hey, remember, be like Mike? Yeah, I'm Chuck. Don't be like me. <laughs> right? Like, you know, I am under no obligation to be the kind of person your kids want to grow up to be. Well, and I think no. that made it, it gave him so much additional pressure because mm-hmm. the idea that he was this not just a superior athlete, but a superior person. Yeah. And he only did good things. And so the idea of him doing something, and and again, they talk about the book coming up. I think that was probably more interesting too, is there were several people in there that talked about the book that came out um, that kind of got under Jordan's skin and brought out some of the darker elements of his life, if you want to call them that. Like basically he was a normal person. Yeah. It turns out he was not a deity, no shit. Um. Yeah. But I think that there were several people that made the point of, you know, the media loves to build you up and they love to tear you down. And there's nothing that's been more true ever in the history of ever. They've done this to everyone. If you have to have a a preeminent human flaw, near psychotic competitiveness is probably a pretty, you know, pretty mild one or pretty good one to have compared to, say, you know, serious drug abuse, uh, you know. Uh, Dude, if he had extreme landering, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, and I think he would apply that to anything he did. So whether he hadn't been in basketball, like had he gone into business or physics or whatever the hell he'd applied that to, Mm -hmm. he would have been the very best at that. Yeah, the the some of the anecdotes make very clear what he says to the guy, the, the you know the lower. The, the not as wealthy and famous players on the team who are playing cards. And he says he wants to play cards with them, even though they're playing for like a dollar a hand. And one of the other players says, why on earth would you want to play with us? And he says, I just want to know that I have your money in my wallet. Right. It's not like he's got to prove like he's, he doesn't need just to prove this to anybody else. He needs mm-hmm. to prove this to himself. Right. That mm-hmm. he is better than anybody at just about anything. And in a very like that's probably torturous. That's probably. And I'm hoping as we see Jordan with his bottle, his, you know, his his tumbler of uh, whiskey or bourbon and the cigar and clearly the fact that the last couple decades have been very good to him. Um, I'm hoping he's learned to enjoy himself. Looks like he has. Mm-hmm. He doesn't con- have this constant burning need to demonstrate. Man does he- not mince words, though. True. Okay. Do you feel? I, I want to ask like, you about the, the the bit on a Isaiah Thomas is hilarious. Hmm. When he's like, "I've always respected him as a player. I think he's one of the best point guards that ever played the game. I just hate him." Yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask you something. I ended up writing about. There was a sports writer up in Philadelphia Inquirer who made this very interesting point. Do you feel like this series is being unfair to the late Jerry Krause, who was the uh, Bulls general manager for all those years? No, he's a dick. Okay. Like, he clearly is the designated villain of this story. And Yeah, but I think that he earned that role, and I think yeah. that's part of what is the peak behind the curtain is letting people know what did happen because people were confused. I mean, he is straight out of central casting to be the uh, arrogant uh, – mm-hmm. Little man around all the athletes trying right. to be, and you know, he, he could be played by Paul Giamatti. Okay, I was going to say, yeah, first of all, yes, bingo. That's a good way of putting it. I was going to say that if he was still alive, they'd cast him as the Penguin in the next Batman movie. Um, you know, short, fat, mm-hmm. 
um, and he, you know, kind of combative and irascible and kind of, you know, generally unpleasant in his personality. But, you know, the, the argument of this is Mike Sielski, I'm going to mangle his name, but basically he's a sports mm-hmm. star who made the argument of like, look, you look at his decisions as a general manager, he was right more than he was wrong. Now, it is striking to see Krauss say, you know, championships are won by organizations. This was a team effort. And said, well, hang on. They had two years there where they didn't have Jordan. <laughs> they weren't nearly as good. So let's not. Yeah. They just kind of no skip I, over that part. Yeah. There is no I in team, but there is in win. Um, and that's. <laughs> but, you know, because this was done in conjunction with Jordan's production company and because, you know, there, there's so few comments. And because Krauss is not around to offer his side of the story, uh, every now and then I think, okay, this is kind of, uh, you know, ha- you know, hammering a dead man who's not around to defend his uh, his reputation at this point. That having been said, let's face it, Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player of all time, and Krauss, you know, like th- you could also make the argument that any general manager who had Michael Jordan in his prime was going to win a bunch of championships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't think the little man had anything to do with it. Yes, he surrounded him with a lot of good teammates over the years. It took him a while to do it, and apparently they completely screwed over um, Scottie Pippen in, their, in, in his contract to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I feel like Jerry was ultimately responsible for the demise of all of it as well, and I think that's what the important part is. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by how, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of bait and switch by uh, ESPN in this. And they're calling it the last dance and, and claiming that this is about the last season. Yeah, it is. But clearly the last season is a framing device for the life story of Michael Jordan. And I don't mind that. If you'd said, you know, Michael Jordan, a 10 part series, I'm fine. You know, like, look, this is what this is what makes it so great. Um, mm-hmm. It is a little bit of bait and switch. And let's also observe. You know, if if this was not going on uh, and sports was continuing as normal and life was continuing as normal, Mickey, would you and I be watching it every Sunday night? Valid question. I don't know, but I think I would be because, like I said, I'm really into it. I mean, it's really good. It's not I don't mean to, you know, say. But I do think that there are a lot of things probably that people are participating in and doing that they would not do simply because of the quarantine situation. It feels like a live event. Yeah, it feels like a sporting event. Therefore, it draws a lot of us to watch it. There's a lot. There's a big sports audience looking for something. <laughs> there's a lot. Anything at all. I, I mean, you yeah. know me. I don't watch baseball. I found out that they're going to start playing games in July. I'm like, I love baseball. Yeah. I can't wait for baseball to start. I want to go to a baseball game. I I can't wait to get outside. I'm about to watch that golf thing that they're going to put on TV. Yeah. I'll watch golf. That's how desperate I am for sports. Um. And live competition. I realized, you know, who's really suffering and could have could have really stepped it up in this was the cooking channel. Or I'm sorry, the Food Network, because the Food Network does all of these cooking competitions and baking competitions. They should have like promoted that as like we are your home for live entertainment, live sports bet on our bakers. Things of that nature. I it sounds like the PGA tour will be among the first to get started. I guess NASCAR is coming this coming week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking, because you know, so uh, backstory here. So my parents live just outside Hilton Island, South Carolina. Um, for almost 20 years, my dad has been a volunteer at the Heritage Tournament, which is held at Harbortown. This is the golf course that has the lighthouse at the end of it. Um, every year the golf season begins with the masters, which is generally most people argue is the greatest event of the season. And then the heritage at Hilton head is like the next week. 
So all the big names usually take a week off. <laughs> and Harbortown in Hilton Head is the smallest site that hosts a major PGA event. But a lot of the players like it because it's on a beach. It's a resort. You get to hang out with your family. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun event. I've been very often... Uh, my family's annual trip to see my folks ends up aligning with that. I've gone a few years and enjoyed all that stuff. Look, let's face it. Golf is not a huge audience uh, sport. You, you know, you can, one of the neat things is you can walk around and go from hole to hole. If you're, as long as you're, you know, mm-hmm. not disrupting, but you don't play it in a giant arena. You don't play it on a, you know, a giant field. So if you take away the spectators, all you lose are the, Oh, when the hold when the ball doesn't go in. <laughs> right. you know, this is not a sport that is primarily driven by the presence of the audience. In fact, I believe it's the only sport I could think. I guess maybe that in tennis, where there, you know, dad's job is to hold the quiet son. Right. Um, and Lord knows he wishes he had that throughout my entire life. Well, I would also say the same thing about and, and you know we can argue about whether or not NASCAR is a sport another day. Um, but they don't know what the audience is doing. Yeah, their focus point, is no. not on the audience mm-hmm. at all. Like I think that a football game, a basketball game, a baseball game, to a certain degree, um, definitely influenced by the audience participation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think NASCAR not, golf not. Yeah. Although I think, I, uh, was it Michael? I'm, Will- I'm getting Somebody some said- golf here at home. I'm watching the hole right by my house, and then if I watch my neighbor's house, I can watch the other hole. If you. Um... I think it was Michael Wilbon who said, uh, if you can't stay six feet away from someone while you're playing golf, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, that uh, <laughs> by and large, you're, you're, you're trying to hit it. Into the... So I figured that would be the first one that would come back uh, and on television. And as you were, you know, as we were saying earlier, you're right. I'm not a huge golf fan, but, uh, you know, when, when Tiger Woods was in those last couple holes for his comeback in the Masters last year, that was riveting. Right. That was that was classic human drama. This is, you know, the fallen hero rising. Oh, dude. I was all of, in. Right. You know, so that under the right circumstances, you know, any sport can be unbelievably gripping and exciting. If, uh, you know, um, what was the old joke that, you know, if you go into a bar and ask somebody to turn on the Na- International Tiddlywigs Tournament. Uh, like, what, what the hell's wrong with you? And then you say, oh, guys, the World Tiddlywigs Finals are tonight and it's U.S. versus Russia. Well, everybody in the bar will say, USA, USA. <laughs> we'll watch USA versus anybody in the championship of anything. You know? True. We don't care about the sport. We just care about beating other countries. Yeah, so. This is true. We feel this way about a lot of things, actually. Uh, so, so, I, so what are you guys watching and doing? Like, I, I mean, obviously, you've actually got the kids at home. You had brought up a show to me, um, a, a show called Counterpart. Now, this isn't a new show, right? This is. It's actually yeah, it was a couple Star- years old. Yeah, two years ago. It only ran two seasons. There was talk about doing a third season. And the show uh, is Counterpart with J.K. Yeah. Simmons, right? Yes. Yeah, this is the guy from At Farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Um, or, you but, know, all the other movies that he's been in. Right. <laughs> uh, and so Counterpart is this. All right. I'm going to geek out a little bit here. So here's the thing. So it was, it was on, it's on uh, Amazon Prime right now. Uh, it jumped over from Stars. Uh, so here's so two two seasons, ten episodes each. The gist of Counterpart is there's this guy named Howard Silk, played by J.K. Simmons, who lives in Berlin and he works for some part of the United Nations. But he doesn't even really understand. He knows it's a spy agency. He, his job is basically translating codes, but what he translates it from and into doesn't make much sense. He's not even really sure what he's doing all day. But he's you know he's and he's been in this job for like thirty years. 
Uh, his wife was in a car accident. He visits her in the hospital every night, and uh, he's kind of, you know, not in a great place in life, but he's a fundamentally good person. And one day, his bosses call him into the office because there's an emergency, and he has no idea what's going on. And into this private office walks a man who looks exactly like him. And except this man, you know, has the same voice, same, you know, he basically is him. What he finds out is that this office in Berlin, that back in the late 1980s, scientists in East Berlin did a scientific experiment and accidentally opened a doorway to another world. Mm-hmm. Except this other world was exactly the same as ours. Um, they created basically a double world, right? And so which every single person has a double and a counterpart. Except somewhere along the line in that intervening time period, things changed between these two worlds. They diverged. And this UN office is managing this this gateway and this doorway to the other side, as they call it. And we very much get the sense that something's wrong with the other side. And the other Howard that he's Uh interacting with is this completely different personality. Uh, he's, he's irritable. He's sarcastic. He's a classic JK Simmons character, basically. Um, and oh, by the way, he seems to be a cold blooded killer, uh, working for the same spy agency on the other side. Uh, whereas Howard is a very decent person. So what causes the split between the two? Okay. So the, uh, lots of small events, but the single most important one is that sometime in the 1990s between these two worlds, probably about, you know, a decade after this, you know, duplicate world was created. Their world was hit by a terrible flu virus that killed about 9% of the world's population. Oh, shut up. Uh, so so, here's, so you have, throughout the first couple episodes, these little glimpses of the other side, as they call it. And on the other side, you have these little signals that something's wrong. You do see people in the background wearing masks, but very rarely the protagonists. There's a public service announcement that I've posted on Twitter, and I'll, I'll probably put it up on the Facebook page for this episode, in which it starts like a, it's in German – but with, you know, English subtitles. And it seems like this normal, hey, winter is coming and it's time for you to get your vaccinations updated. Because if you don't, you can be sentenced to prison. And if you hide your illness from authorities, you can be forced into quarantine. And (laughs) all of a sudden, it's this sudden, very German ominous. And you see a kid start to cough and all the children around him instantly take out masks and back away from him. It is this masterpiece of making things seem something is terrible. And of course, I'm hearing about this Right after <laughs> this, our terrible experience. Oh, the timing the on this is spectacular. Yeah. So, this is perfect escapism. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so what it is, is uh, one of the things that's been fascinating about this is that throughout the season, you get glimpses of how this, it's about four years since the flu uh, virus tore through this world. It has recovered physically, but you can tell that there are deep psychological scars uh, and that this life, people on the other side are a little more paranoid. Uh, the government is, if not openly fascistic, can be fascistic when it needs to be. Um, and, and there's kind of this, you know, obviously the whole thing is a Cold War metaphor. The passageway between the two worlds looks like Checkpoint Charlie, all that kind of stuff. Uh, in addition to being like a really good spy drama, it feels very relevant to today. Um, and of course, the world that had gotten, the, the, that pummeled by this virus strongly suspects that our world uh, is the one that I, this was a bioweapon. And that there's this, you know, that's one of the things that drives this paranoia and suspicion mm. plots and counterplots and all that kind of stuff. So uh, masterful. It is terrific. Um, a lot of people say it was canceled too early. The end of the second season is a it is a resolution, I would say. It's not it doesn't end on a cliffhanger. It does leave a sense that they had other directions they wanted this story to go in. 
Uh, but if you're looking for about 10 hours of really good entertainment, it's that. I will not surprise you, Mickey, that um, Mrs. Campaign Spot does not want to watch this one bit. And uh, <laughs> I tried watching it with the other boys, with the boys in the room. And it's it's it, this is uh, rated R. Uh, and okay. so I like, oh, can't watch that. OK, sorry, boys. Go, you know. Um, uh, so it's in that one. What's the other one? Oh, um, I'm getting into the most recent season of Bosch. But I don't know, Mickey, I, seriously, I, it's, it's a really well done show. But I believe, and I remember talking about this with this show went, went back when we were you know, doing this with Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as the show has progressed, Mickey, I get the feeling I could go to the Fairfax County Police Department, ask them for a cold case, and I could probably solve that cold case by the time they get the end to the end of the box. <laughs> Like, I get that one of the themes of the show is that police work is not very dramatic or very exciting and mm-hmm. involves a lot of drudgery and a lot of repetition and a lot of, you know, false leads and all that kind of stuff. But, man, it does not always make for thrilling television. Sometimes it's just a little too slow. Yeah. And, like, the slow burns I love generally, but some of them are a little too slow. Um, I will tell you this. I watched a little – it's like a 10-episode, same concept on Netflix called – Never have I ever. Mm. And this is a show about teenagers that I think that older teenagers, young adults, and certainly adults would enjoy. Um, It's a very bingeable, very cute story of an Indian American young girl who lost her father going into her sophomore year and how she's trying to kind of reclaim herself and become a popular girl and a normal teenager dealing with cultural differences and and just the the general angst that I think everyone can relate to in those awkward teen years and some really just laugh out loud moments like I'm not even kidding there there were times that things happened between her her friends her family exceptionally well acted very clever um and again, you know, there's there are certain formulaic things to it, but not 100% because you've got all of these very interesting characters and twists. The fact that she is Indian. Um, you do have some of the, you know, her best friend's Asian and she has another friend who's black. And, you know, there's all of these very um, of the moment, if you will, as far as like everyone's represented or whatever you want to say about that. But it is a really, really well-told story about a very sweet wonderful girl and her family and the troubles that she's going through but like I said it's it's done with so much heart that it really comes through mm. and you don't always feel that sometimes these can be very cold and and you know they can pop out a lot of those like teen angsty shows and I don't really get into most of them or or feel like there's something I want to watch but I watched one episode of this and I was like oh now I need to see what happens to Dobby mm. first of all it's interesting because yeah that's not I mean you the listeners who remember your assessment of 13 Reasons Why uh, will point out that you are quick to point out teen dramas that are hackneyed and cliched and, and you know, mm-hmm. painful and all that stuff. And you mentioned the, um, you know, what what else are we watching in this house? We, we are watching and going through on Hulu, fresh off the boat, uh, this this ABC sitcom about the Asian-American family living mm-hmm. in Orlando in the 1990s. You know. The industry, you know, for, for, there are a lot of people who are like, you know, uh, you know, diversity, you know, or, or kind of this idea of, you know, when they see minorities portrayed in pop culture, they, they don't always react as warmly and positively. Look, if it's done well, you know, mm-hmm. 
people, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it, it can be fascinating to spend some time stepping into some, another culture and, and seeing how they do things and how they're different and how they are similar and what things are universal and what things are very distinct. And I think as long as it's not, you know, I think the knee jerk reaction the yeah. to yeah. immediately hate anything that's diverse simply because you feel like it's PC culture being shoved down your throat can backfire. Um, and this would be one of those cases where it's, you know, as you know, I'm all about, I, I, I am one of those people who say white people have no culture. So I'm all about finding culture in other places and, and with my friends, you know, this, and certainly with my entertainment and things of that nature. So I, but I definitely agree that there are some shows that are done and they feel almost patronizing. Mm where there are other shows that are done with a lot of heart and they're very well done and fresh off the boat. I've seen a couple of episodes that I thought that was really well done. This is exceptional. And there are other shows out there that are like that. And that's true, whether they are based on, you know, I mean, the Goldbergs is based on what a Jewish family in the eighties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you've got blackish, you've got <laughs> the Goldbergs, you've got fresh off the boat. Um, you've got all of these different kind of individual families, not, and of course, mm. all of the many, many white families represented. And then there's modern family with all of the people represented. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this, if it's well say, done, that's all that matters. Yeah. My guess is it, it stems from a, you know, producers, a creative, you know, screenwriters, people get together and say, hey, we want to do this show and it's going to portray, you know, this particular culture. And it's a culture that hasn't necessarily gotten a lot of attention in, in entertainment in the past. And they recognize that for a good portion of the audience, this may be their first contact with this culture. This is going to help shape how they view it. And they end up becoming like afraid of showing that culture in any con anything that can be con construed as a negative light. Except that's where a lot of the humor comes from, right? You know, this, there's nothing funny about perfect people. Yes, right? there's no, nothing absolutely funny, you know, true. Mm -hmm. um, we laugh at uh, fresh. We off laugh the boat. because we yeah. can relate. Well, that's yeah. You know that in you know particular. <laughs> Uh, Fresh Off the Boat has a great deal to say about immigrant families, which, you know, maybe we have a little uh, understanding of in this house and just kind of mm -hmm. a sense of <laughs> um, a, a, you know, a sense of we do things this way. Right. And I mm -hmm. think one, one of the things that is probably most admirable about the Huangs, the uh, Taiwanese American family portrayed in this is their recognition of there are certain ways they want to be just like everyone else in America. And there are certain ways they, no, no, we do this better, that they don't want to be just like everyone else in America, that they kind of look at, there's the, probably the, the, the scene that sold me, I think it was at the end of the first episode or second episode, a typical elementary school teacher who believes in, it's not about grades, it's about trying hard, we try to work with you, know, uh, the mother meets with this teacher and cannot understand how the how the any teacher could say grades don't matter, <laughs> you know? She wants her children driven to achieve at every single step. Absolutely, maybe, yeah. Maybe a little bit yeah, of a tiger yeah. mom uh, cliche, but you know, but the idea is there are lots of you know, uh, in many Asian American families, you know, academic achievement is is really important, and the parents do their best to drive that message into their kids' heads. So the idea, this touchy feely attitude towards children's education that she's encountering, is the most alien thing in the world she could imagine. It's it's mm -hmm. hilarious. And by the way, you don't have to be Asian American to feel that way. You know, all of a sudden you're like, oh, right. Okay. Um, so yeah, you know, again, when, when it's done well, it can be absolutely delightful. And when it's not done well, it kind of tends a little, gets a little preachy and, mm -hmm. and so again, I, I definitely highly recommend never have I ever, I don't think it's for the younger kids. I don't think it, 
for young teens, it would be something you would have to make a call as a parent. But I definitely thought it was a really good show with a good message overall. And uh, but hilarious. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. A lot of heart in there. So while we're, you know, turning to Netflix, Mickey, I have an interesting question for you. Would you be comfortable going back to a movie theater these days? As you know, I don't go to the movies that often anyway. And so this is why I feel like a lot of these surveys are unfair because, and I say this because you, you brought this up without even knowing you walked into my trap um, <laughs> because one of the things I've seen pop up a lot was like, would you go to a major sporting event? It's like 80% of Americans would not go to a major sporting event. Like 80% of Americans never go yeah, to a major it, sporting event. Exactly. Yeah. So how is that any different? Um, also like, are we talking about like, you know, the uh, Nets versus the Denver Nuggets or, you know, in a game that means nothing for anybody, or are we talking about the Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, well, like, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, a million different, yeah, seeing, there's so. a million different things, ways you can look at these sites, which is like, why, as you know, I hate polling. It's all wrong. It's never right because it's always based on what the pollster is trying to get from you, not what you're trying to give them. And so neither here nor there on that of that. But what I did see was like, you know, 80% of people didn't want to go to movie theaters, or maybe it's less than that, maybe 60. And 80% didn't want to go to, you know, major sporting events. 90% said they wouldn't go to Broadway. You know, all these just random things. And I'm like, most people aren't doing those things anyway. Like, going to a sporting event is expensive. So most people, if they go to one NFL game a year, that's a big deal. Let alone, like, on the regular, right? Yeah. You know, it... If, you know, if you showed me a survey of like, you know, NFL season ticket holders uh, and are you willing to go, you know, how willing are you to go to a stadium? That's that's going to be a much more relevant number. Yeah. To, to, now I want to so. hear about that survey. That matters to me, because yeah. especially if it's Steeler tickets and I can buy them. But, you know, a bigger. So what, what the reason I ask is that, you know, this, there's a lot of predictions. This will be the last movie theaters will be either among the last things to reopen or the last things for people to go to in large numbers. Um, just because a lot of little logistical questions of you're inside an enclosed space, either the air conditioning or the heating is going to, you know, is the sort of thing that spreads around the virus pretty easily. You could have everybody wear masks, but then everybody wants to, you know, lift up the mask to eat their popcorn. Um you know, all, I believe, is it all three movie chains have declared bankruptcy? Or I know I know AMC is in trouble. All three of the movie chains are in deep financial debt. They're all in trouble, yeah, yeah. one way or the other. Um, and some people are speculating, you know, while, while everyone's hoping for drive, drive-in drive movie theaters to come back, it would be a way for everyone to safely, you know, still be in their cars, be six feet apart, but still be able to watch the movie. Uh, movie you know, that the, the movie, th- most people are not likely to be rushing back to movie theaters, both for risk and for the fact that... Uh, you know, just generally, they're they're you know af- afraid of this being the spot of where they're likely to catch the virus. I I don't know because I, I I love going to the movies. I I you know you give me a chance to you know sneak out on a Friday afternoon or take the kids to a Marvel movie or you know like you know there there is something to be said for the the theater experience. Even though I complain about you know teenagers and all that kind of stuff, I you know it, I would hate to see this be the end of movie theaters. But my sneaking suspicion is, is that, you know, no, I don't think any of the chains were ready for several months of Americans not going to movie theaters in significant numbers. Well, to be fair, no business is ready for yeah. people to just stop coming. Yep. I mean, like, that that's a ridiculous idea that, like, you know, it, that somehow these businesses would be prepared for a sudden, you know, six-month shutdown is ridiculous. 
of course that's not going to happen. However, I am curious about you and your take on it. Like what would they need to do to make you feel safe? Because you actually are their target audience. You're someone who goes to the movies quite a bit. Yeah. More in, more in the usual summer seasons than, uh, Oscar bait season and and the other stuff. And by the way, like you know, here we are. It is early Look, May. Where I didn't accuse you of being yeah. a film aficionado. I Thank know you. that you like to go to Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. This, but I'm this, just saying you do this, go to you know, movies a lot. By one year ago today, the event uh, Avengers Endgame was already out. Uh, you know, this was this was you know we're we're now in what should be summer blockbuster season. Almost all of them have been delayed to fall. Oh, Christ, I didn't think about that. Are you right? draws? How are you handling that? Ah, okay, so one of the observations I, I've had through this whole long, irritating experience is that one of the ways we mark time is through holidays and celebrations and things that make, you know, what is March about? It's about St. Patrick's Day. And that was probably for a lot of people their last regular you know, taste taste of regularity. What is April? Usually that's Easter, right? Um, May is about, you know, college graduations and Mother's Days and, uh, you know, Memorial Day. And, you know, prom. Th- these are right. Yeah. Prom. You know, prom and th- these are all the th- and maybe it's the beginning of wedding season. Right. And because of coronavirus, all this stuff has been, you know, you know it's been generally been you know postponed or canceled or, or thrown off. And so the result is if Mickey, as I, I, I really enjoy this joke because it feels so true, it feels like we've had 78 straight Wednesdays. <laughs> time is losing its meaning because you don't have the thing that you, you know, like what's the difference between a weekend and a weekday when you're working from home and you can't go anywhere right you know that um i thankfully as, as the uh, uh as the these kids school has gotten reinstated i think we have a little bit more of a regular uh, schedule to our lives, but it was one of the I things. I will only that, say to this that I, while I agree that it's it's a cross between Groundhog Day and what maybe twenty eight days later, I don't know. Yeah. Um, weird, like the same thing happening over and over again. But because I am working so much in front of the computer now, and and having to do so much more to do what I would do with my normal job, I swear to God, I'm actually looking forward to the weekends more now than I maybe ever have in life. Yeah. Well, again, if you do something on those weekends, all of a sudden your life is different. Right. <laughs> right. Something something unexpected has happened because otherwise your life is going to have. Oh, and we were able to go kayaking last weekend. Ah. Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. Weather um, matters maybe, a lot now. <laughs> maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll throw a picture up um, on the website for that or on the Facebook for that. But, yes, it, it was absolutely spectacular. And, honestly, I recommend that, you know, if you've got the opportunity to get outside, Jim mentioned this get outside because we were out kayaking for a couple hours and it just cleared. Like it really did feel like it took a lot of the whole, like being cooped up and all of that just away. Yeah. You you need things to, you you need to figure out ways to keep living your life. Having had a lot of the things that made your life, your life taken away from you. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, so yeah, that, that, um, I, it's interesting. The, the other flip side of this is, I guess, apparently one of the movie chains is spitting hot fire over the fact that whoever did the – was it not the Trolls? The, the, the Troll movie? Yes. Okay, that, that you know, World Tour went straight mm-hmm. to streaming instead of that. Pixar did it with Onward. Yes, we've already watched it as a family on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fine. It was, it was, you know, typical Pixar stuff. Uh, I figure if you're a studio, you're probably sitting there thinking, oh, maybe it's worth it to put it on streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it's just gonna be sitting collecting dust on a shelf 
waiting for an opportunity to reach viewers. And I saw right. there was a, um, uh, you know, particularly with, we, we talked earlier about Ryan Reynolds and six underground and how Netflix's movies are starting to get more summer blockbustery. They're starting mm-hmm. to feel more like the stuff you, there's a new one with Thor, not Thor's. I mean, uh, Hemsworth playing a, you know, kind of a standard. Yeah. Action and Mark Wahlberg had one too. Yeah. Yep. And so it's turning a little bit more into, um, what you'd see on Netflix is what the sort of thing you'd go out to a Friday, out to the movies on the weekend to go see. So, the the calculation of do I want to see that movie do I want to pay money to buy a ticket to see that movie now or do I want to wait till it comes out to streaming particularly when it's probably going to come out to streaming pretty darn fast that that alters the calculus there a little bit and so you welcome know. to my world this is what I do all the time there you go and like, this is why I don't go to the theater that often so I don't know if other people I believe that there are people who like going to the movie theater I believe that there are people who like that experience. And I believe that there are people who will continue to like that experience. It's just like anything else. Like there, you know, there's a certain drop off when you get to people like me. I like movies. I just don't like going to the theater. Um, And it's a really rare occasion for me to want to get up and go to do that. But people like yourself and others and, you know, it's a date night activity. It's things like that. But there is something to the actual experience of going, the buying of the popcorn, the getting in, you know, all of that. Um, and so particularly I think if that... you're, you know, in a group mm-hmm. and it's a movie you're really looking forward to and the audience, like, there, it, it turns a passive process of watching something happen into a communal experience, much like watching athletics, right? This mm-hmm. is why people, exactly. see, you know, you know, um, and so I think we're, we're all yearning for that. And, uh, you know, it's, I think we, there. Look, we don't know how long it's going to take for this to go. Uh, you know, herd immunity is a long ways away. You know, God knows when a vaccine is going to get here. Some promising stuff on this, but it looks like this is going to be. Oh our my lives. God! Wow. Must you continue? <laughs> well, hang on. Let me, you know. So the question is, when are we going to get that group shared emotional experience? That thing where we're all together and we all feel something at the same time, the way everybody feels when they see, you know, a Steeler t- catch a touchdown. Oh. Right. Right. I mean, that's, yes, I am just praying that football season is cool. That's all I'm saying. And I'll wear whatever mask they want me to wear, but I, that, I just need football season to happen. That's going to, that, that would break me. But I did want to share one other thing um, that we are doing here and, and the two things actually um, to break the monotony up and whatnot. We've had a couple happy hours with some friends um, doing the zoom happy hour style thing or Microsoft teams is really good with it. You can only have a limited number of people on Microsoft teams though, where you can see them zoom. You can actually see all of them, which is kind of nice. Um, have you guys done any of that? Like with friends? Several. Um, and in fact, last Friday I managed to get together with almost all of my usual click. No, that's not promoting the novel, but Hey, you know what? Go, go to Amazon and either download or order that novel because you've got nothing else to do these days, America. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, so so got together with, you know, got together with, we had like seven or eight people. It was terrific. Uh, you know, Cam, another one of our friends who got together, you know, so yeah, first of all, if you, if you haven't done this folks, go out and do this because this is a quick way to create that simulation of you know, particularly long lost friends. This is a you know great way to get through this. My, also, it's a great way to feel like you're not drinking by yourself. Yes, that's the other thing. You're a social drinker, and now mm-hmm. you're a social media drinker. Yes. Um, 
Yeah. So yes, that that is worthwhile. And again, until we figure out how to get through this, this is going to be our our you know facsimile of human interaction. That. Uh, well, yeah, and I've actually enjoyed it. I've done it with some friends. I've done it with some new coworkers and colleagues. Um, and I, you know, it is at least it gives me that like again that social stimulation, and again, more importantly, someone to drink with. So if you're home by yourself and you get in one of these calls, you are no longer drinking alone. Now you're being social at a party. See how that works. Um, one of the other things that we are doing as as a group of friends, you know, we're trying to come up with things to do together apart, <laughs> um, <laughs> is a it's a game called uh, it's actually a website called Jackbox TV, Jackbox TV. And on that, there are trivia games that you can play as a group. There's a game that's very similar to Cards Against Humanity, but it's called like Clip It or something. Um, but again, you write down hateful things and then people vote on it. And if you're the most hateful, you win. So we played um, last night for the first time. We did a big group playing of both the trivia and the Quip It. And I'd like to let you all know that, of course, I won um, both games last night. First rounds of both games. I would expect um, nothing less. <laughs> Of course, yeah. The trivia game I love. It's probably my favorite. Um, but the quick game was certainly fun as well. And again, it was one of those situations where you can get on there with some of your friends and play and drink. And we did it for Cinco de Mayo. Um, we all kind of, each of us had Mexican in our own individual houses. We all drank together. And then we played trivia and played this other game. And I got to tell you, I used to play the same trivia game on Xbox. It used to be called You Don't Know Jack. And you could play it live, and I loved it. So this is just a, another version of the same um, concept. And I absolutely loved it, and I thought I would share it with you guys because if you are looking for something to do with your friends, that is not just – because I know – I mean, like, we talk about watching Netflix. I know Mr. Bias and I take walks every day. We're playing chess um, at night. And when it's not raining, which seems like that's never anymore, you know, I certainly try to get outside and doing some grilling and things of that nature – just to break the monotony up. Um, but I think it's also important to still try to find ways to have fun. And this certainly, I, I, I thought, was a really good one. Good. I, I salute that I have not gotten the technical hang of it. Uh, apparently, Netflix has one where you can watch all, all together uh, and do basically kind of a Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of watching something, which is a neat idea, you know. We all need some sort of greater levels of interactivity, and my suspicion is is that everyone has burned through all of their board games with the people they're living with by now. Right, and I think that's where Jackbox suddenly became very interesting to Mr. Bias and I, because we're like, oh, look, games with other people. This is fantastic. And again, you know, it's a good way to like hang out and see people, which I do think is important right now. You gotta, you've got to keep that up. And people who say that it doesn't matter, I don't believe them. Like if they gonna, say that they don't care, it's not bothering them. I don't believe them. I mean, I, I suppose I suppose if you live, you know, sufficiently. Look, uh, because I work from home most days. Uh, early on in this process, I was joking. I'm among probably the ten percent of Americans least affected by this. Um, and then everyone started being around all the time, and I started realizing mm. I am affected by. You know, I, look, there are certainly some people who are probably more psychologically equipped than others. I, I was struck by that. There's one report that said there are a certain number of people who are generally neurotic or anxiety ridden who are finding these current times relaxing because suddenly they're, they're all of their anxiety was well, was well founded. 
<laughs> there's kind of this is oh okay so you're you're totally prepared for the the apocalypse you're completely prepared for you know things to really hit the fan and go wrong because you've been right. you know, preparing for this your whole life so uh, i i hope you can find that peace to everyone out there i hope whatever you know you get through this okay and just pretend like oh you know what every bad fear i've ever had turned out to be well founded i knew what i was talking about oh you stop it right now <laughs> And and more importantly, you should remember what I have told you is that it's never time to panic. This is one of the things I've told people my whole life. There is never a time to panic. Now is not that time either. Um, we're almost to the end of what seems to be the worst of it for us on our end. Um, and certainly there are people, as Jim mentioned, you know, that are suffering through this. But and, and we certainly, you know, appreciate their loss and the sacrifice of everyone who's going out and working every day, including Mr. Bias, who leaves the house and goes to work every day. Um, I know some of you guys probably are a little curious about what's going on with him health-wise. And just a quick update on that. We um, are back in the swing of things. Things had kind of gotten put on hold with all of the elective procedures and whatnot. And yes, believe it or not, this was considered elective. Um, so anyway, he, he is back in the swing of things and will probably be starting radiation by the end of this month. So your thoughts and prayers are most appreciated. Well, Mickey, you guys are very much in my thoughts. Um I think we're all doing a little, if you're the praying type, I think everyone's praying a little bit more these days. I think we're all talking a bit more to our creator and trying to figure out how we can get through this and try to do something helpful to people. Um, they're, they're this, we, we've had a giant problem thrown our way, and as bad as it is, it also does give us an opportunity to do something meaningful. So I hope everyone out there is getting through this okay. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. It has been it has been therapeutic to have this conversation, Mickey, and I hope it's been therapeutic for our listeners as well. It's been great. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you as always and sharing all of this with our listeners. And, um, I do hope that we'll be back at this soon. Um, though we say this all the time, we're going to try to get this back out. Well, yeah, you know, last and, time this like giant pandemic came along. It yeah, of... <laughs> true. That's true. That's not entirely my fault, right? That's not entirely my fault. My entire world got shook upside down. So anyway, yeah. So we are going to try to keep doing this as often as possible. Thank you for continuing to listen. And the one way that you can make sure that you never miss an episode of T jams, um, at one, the hashtag TJAMS, find that on social media and you'll find us, that's T-J-A-M-S, um, is to go ahead and hit subscribe. So wherever you're listening on whatever podcast or podcatcher that you use, whether it be iTunes, um, obviously SoundCloud, any of the podcasters that you use, if you hit subscribe, every time that we put out a new um, episode, it'll automatically pop for you. So you never have to worry about missing one. Um, certainly appreciate that. And we certainly appreciate when you share our show with other people and bring new listeners in. We, uh, we love that. And you know, Jim and I love the feedback on social media. I've been terrible about being a Facebooker lately, but I'm always great on Twitter. So you can find me at bias girl and Jim is at Jim Garrity. And I want to thank you once again, wish you all the best and let you know that you're going to get through this. This too shall pass. You have been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show.